Welcome to Hashtag Skinthusiast, the podcast, a place for listeners to hear from the experts and soak in tangible tips to get that glow from the inside out. I'm Amy, a skincare educator, practicing dermatology PA, and beauty creator who bridges the gap between you and the industry. Listen in to the industry's top experts on everything from the best way to spot treat a pimple, which skincare ingredients we shouldn't be mixing, to the drugstore finds that are better than luxury price tags. We cover it all. Here, dermatologists, skincare experts, brand founders, and thought leaders will share their tips and tricks for all things beauty, skincare, and wellness. Think of hashtag Skinthusiasts like a coffee chat with the beauty gurus whose brains you've always wanted to pick. You won't get this kind of insight anywhere else. Your best skin is coming soon. This guest needs no introduction. Dr. Shireen Idris, Pillow Talk Derm herself, is on the podcast today. I've been following Dr. Idris for years after a follower sent me her Pillow Talk Derm series, and I've always loved her candid and no bullshit approach to skincare. We talk about everything from your at-home skincare routine, is preventative Botox even a thing, what you need to know about at-home devices, and should you be using collagen powders. This episode is so packed with information, you're going to want to take notes. Dr. Idris, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. When I mentioned that I was starting a podcast, you were one of the most requested guests. So I'm, I'm honored that you took the time to chat with me. And I know that my audience is going to be super happy to hear from you. You're so sweet. I'm excited to support you on your newest endeavor and excited to see how you bloom and how you grow. So thank you for having me. Oh. Thank you. So I've been drawn to you for years now. Actually, it was a follower who first sent me your account with the Pillow Talk Derm series and all of that fun stuff. And then, of course, I followed you through your new venture of your line, which we're going to talk about and I'm a big fan of. So I just I love your candid kind of like no bullshit take on skincare. And I think we have that in common. And I just I love educating the consumer on maybe some like BS marketing tactics and things like that. So that's why I wanted to have you on. And I'm super excited to hear kind of what you have to say about all the things. We love watching your videos. And I do have a lot of pre-med and med school students who follow along. So I'm wondering if we could start by sharing a little bit about your your career journey. Yeah, sure. I mean, where where to begin? As you know, it's it's a long one. <laughs> it's a very long one. So I I applied to the BAMD program from high school. So I got into medical school from high school, and that sort of set it off. But I thought I was going to be going into plastic surgery. You know, that's sort of what I had wanted to do because there's one thing about me. I may be very patient for long-term things, but I'm not patient for short-term things. And with medicine, I do not have the patience to convince you that something is wrong if you don't see it. And so I was like, okay, forget that. But I do love working with my hands. I love working with people. And I thought plastics was it, but I didn't want to change people and change the essence of who they are. And I quickly realized that with plastics, like you're a one-hit wonder for that patient and you're never really going to grow with that patient given the skill set that you've been trained to do and have. So I quickly then discovered, very luckily too, it's like the stars aligned, dermatology. My third year of undergrad, through my sister who had a really bad eczema crisis, and I went with her to the derm, 
quite frankly thinking this is going to be like, you know, pimple popping. And at the time, Seinfeld had an episode with a dermatologist who popped pimples. And so that's where my mind was at. But when I walked in, like my world opened up because at the time you're talking about 2002, 2003, there's no social media. You're not watching people doing laser treatments online. It wasn't as visible, right? So I didn't realize the extent to which dermatologists actually partake in people's aging process. I didn't realize the whole cosmetic angle to it. I didn't realize that not only do they treat medical conditions that people see themselves and want help for, but there is also so much more that you can do with your hands and you can grow with people throughout time. And that moment was like light bulb off plastic surgery, you know, highway into the dermatology tunnel. And that's when I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Um, But like with everything, you realize, oh, it's a very competitive field. So I took a year off. In between my second and third year of med school, I did a year of research to really cement it. But also I was really young. Like I started med school at 20. It was truly tunnel vision for me, you know, where I hadn't lived. um, Not that one year was going to make you live completely, but I just felt like I needed to see the journey of going through medical school and residency from an outsider's perspective rather than constantly be in it. And I took that year off to really kind of evaluate life from that standpoint, but also to really see if dermatology is what I wanted, given that I had the luxury of time on my side. And I did a year of research in Durham, which ended up being one of the best years of my life, one of the most challenging years of my life. It was for multiple personal issues as well. But it was truly a a really a pivotal moment for me. And that's when I applied after that. And luckily I got in and I then completed the four years of training post-MD in Boston. And yeah, and now fast forward, we're here, (laughs) which has been crazy over 20 years now from start to finish. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing journey. I really admire you guys and 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 all the hard work that you go through. It's a long road, and you know, dermatology being one of, if not the most competitive field for residency, it's it's very cool to watch from the sidelines. So, would you think that the combined program gave you a little bit of an edge for dermatology residency? You know, being that you had kind of entered quote-unquote med school so early? And would you recommend the combined program for those who are looking at that versus the traditional route of getting their bachelor's and then applying to med school? That's a very good question. I think it really depends on the person going through it. I don't think it gave me a leg up for residency programs, no, because ultimately it's how you treat that whole you know, process throughout the seven years that actually is going to dictate what you're going to get into and, you know, what you're going to do later on in life. But I think it really depends on the personalities. And there were many times in which I wanted to quit, but I would tell myself, okay, well, I got accepted. Let me at least get my MD and no one can take that away. And then I could figure out what I want to do next. So for me, it was like a security blanket that once I was in it, it kept me going to actually accomplish my goal. So it ended up working really well for me in that way. But there was a lot of people that I knew had to drop out. They realized they weren't happy. They had like kind of like an identity crisis. So ultimately, I think you have to be very honest with yourself about what it is that you want. And you kind of have to understand your personality before applying and committing to something for that long. Because you know, it's not going to be that fair for some, to take that spot away from somebody else who might really want it if you're kind of like, uh, you know, on the fence. Personally, for me, it, that track really did keep my eye on the prize. Like, it allowed me to realize that seven years is really not that long because at the time, seven years was like half my life, right? At 17, when you're applying, you're like, seven years ago, I was 10. Like, now I'm 17. What's going to happen? So at the time, it was like literally the next third of my life. 
Um, but now in hindsight, like it's truly just a blip on the radar. So again, perspective is everything, but definitely if you have the opportunity and you're able to, and your heart is in it and that's what you want to do, apply, see what happens and go from there. Yeah. I commend you. That is so young to make such a, such a big decision, but also speaks to as a student and as a person. So I agree if it's something that if you're offered a position in a program like that, it would be really, really difficult to turn down. That's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it was truly it was truly an amazing opportunity. So I want to talk a little bit before we get to your line just about skincare in general. Mm-hmm. I think that's what people love to hear about from you. So what are some products and steps that you think everybody needs in their routine? Like if you had a blanket statement that everyone should use like maybe two or three things. Everyone should use a cleanser. Everyone should use some type of moisturizer based on your environment. And everyone should use you know, some sort of sunscreen, I would say. And the moisturizer, ideally, if it's loaded with some kind of antioxidant, two for one, great, luckier, you know? Um, But I think you don't have to go completely crazy in having a 30-step skincare routine. Is it fun? To a certain extent, it's fun to kind of build up your routine, but do you really need that many steps? Absolutely not, you don't. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great start for everybody, for all skin types. And I loved your recent video about kind of moisturizing for your environment versus just saying, I'm an oily skin, you know, yeah. at 15 years old, and then for the next 90 years, you say you're oily skin. That's just not how it works. It never made sense. Like, I was like, what do you mean? Like, there, like I have a little bit, I'm definitely on the drier side, but I do get a little bit oilier, especially if it's humid outside. And so... I always say you have to listen to your skin. And I know it sounds counterintuitive because you see your skin, but you have to listen and feel your skin because it varies. Your skin is the largest living and breathing organ that we have. And it's going to vary based on the environment that we're in. So if you're oily in a humid environment, skip the moisturizer. The sunscreen is going to do enough to give some level of hydration to your skin that you probably honestly won't even need. Um, But if you're dry, in a dry climate, you probably want to load up on a mist, an essence, a serum, a moisturizer, and some kind of occlusive to really try to hold on to that moisture into your skin. So it really does vary. And that's why it's not so clear cut. And I understand it could be confusing, but you have to simplify it in a way that's understandable for yourself. And then you can really easily pivot when it comes to your skincare routine. Yeah, I think listening to your skin is such a good tip. So often I think we kind of, like I said, we have this idea in our head of what our skin is or what our skin does, and we kind of don't stray from that. Here in Miami, we obviously, it's so humid, even all year round, but we have patients who, in my practice, a lot of patients who spend uh, some of the winter in Aspen, and they'll be like, you know, but why is my skin freaking out in Aspen? I'm wearing, I'm using the same stuff. I'm like, exactly. You're using the same stuff for your, for your skin in Miami, and the dead of winter in Aspen is not going to react the same way. Absolutely not. No, it's, it's absolutely not going to react the same way. I mean, I went to Utah last year, I was in the middle of the desert, and I never experienced that level of dryness in my life, you know, (laughs) where I was like, these people need to like pack it on Mm -hmm. (laughs) no matter what. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting until you realize that it's really the environment that dictates how you should be moisturizing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on the note of what everyone should use, is there any product or a category of product that you think is completely unnecessary? Like no one needs it? I think there's a lot of unnecessary things that exist on the market, but ultimately skincare is self-care and it's meant to be enjoyed. So I will not like take a crap 
on a whole category of stuff. But I will say that toners are the most elusive and confusing category on the market. And I think it has to do with a shift in what a toner means from the 70s and 80s to today and people not evolving with the times and still considering them the same thing from the 70s or the 80s and not taking the time to understand what they're using in their toner. So like, I often hear patients tell me, oh, I used a toner, then it's exfoliating acid, and then I use a serum, and then I use it. And I'm like, okay, which one? Okay, there's an AHA in that. Okay, which exfoliating acid? Oh, you're using AHA. Okay, which cleanser? Oh, you're using Neutrogena with salicylate. I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and they're like, don't I need the toner? And I'm like, saying you need a toner is like saying you need a serum. Like, what's in the serum? What's in your toner? And so I think the toner category has not evolved with the times and needs a better PR agent. Yeah, it's really more like a vehicle, right? For your favorite ingredients, just like a serum is. 100%. You have to be intentional about it. I agree with you. And you talk a lot about kind of things that are and aren't worth it in the industry. Do you find that there is ever a justification for, let's say, a $300, $400 serum? We see a lot of those coming out now. And and I think like anything over 200, I start to just be like, what is in this that could possibly give us that price tag? Or do you think that there is a place for it? Again, if you enjoy it and it's part of your self-care and it elevates your mood because you feel fancy that you're using some weird crap load of ingredients that were sourced from some weird mountain out in the Himalayas. I don't know what. Then like, if that makes you happy, you do you and do not mind anything I say. But do you need a $300 hyaluronic acid serum? Absolutely not. You do not need a $300 hyaluronic acid serum. I don't care where that hyaluronic acid came from. It could have come up from like the Queen of Sheba's like back. No, like you don't need a $300 hyaluronic acid serum. There are certain things that like are just... It's an insult to people's intelligence, and I'm so shocked how people still fall for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think even, I mean, when we talk, start talking about growth factors and stuff, that, like, piques my interest a little bit more. But when you're talking about hyaluronic acid for $300, I just— It's a basic. Yeah, it blows my it's mind. It's like a basic— And it's just one of those things that you just don't need in multiple steps of your routine. Now, people oftentimes misconstrue what I've said about hyaluronic acid, and I'm not going back on my words, but you do not need a dedicated hyaluronic acid product in your lineup. And I stand by that. Um, You can have it in one product, but you don't need it in 12 steps of your skincare routine either. So kind of be mindful about how much of it you're getting because the overall additive effect, especially of low molecular weight, And I've seen this firsthand in my practice. And obviously what you see, you cannot generalize for the public, but I see 100 patients a week, you know, does have an inflammatory effect on the skin's surface and on the barrier over time. So you have to lay off lay off it a little bit in order to get the best results in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my rule of thumb with things like HA with, well, with humectants in general or with niacinamide. I'm like, you're already getting it. There's really no need. I guarantee if you do an audit of your skincare routine that you're using right now, those two ingredients are probably in one or more of the products, you know? So yeah, I agree. That's what I like too, when you talk about your, the major fade serum, which is one of my favorite products, how you call it a hydrating serum. I think that's, that's really helpful because a lot of times when people don't see the word hyaluronic acid, they assume, like if it's not on the label, on the front label, they assume it's not a hydrating serum, which just isn't the case. And I love that serum. That's one of my favorites. So that combination of of the hydrators and then, of course, the, the ingredients to help with hyperpigmentation. I just, I like how you 
how you say it that way because a lot of brands don't. They'd rather you go and then buy also buy their hyaluronic acid serum, you know? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And ultimately, I think the consumers getting, you've seen this firsthand through your practice, like they get more and more confused. And I was also confused at one point. I'm like, wait, what am I doing over here? And if I'm confused with the num- the knowledge that we have, like, you know, like what is a layperson going to feel when they're getting bombarded left, right and center with all of these ads and advertisements? And at the end of the day, you're only going to die with so much money. So it's it's not about taking people for a ride. It's also about helping them help themselves in the process, you know, which I do think the industry has lost sight of a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's why I'm so compelled by brands like yours that are created by experts and also ex- experts that are well-versed in how to educate the public, right? Because there can be an expert that starts a brand, but if there isn't that kind of open line of communication sometimes, I think it can be difficult. So I think... The more and more we see this, the smarter and smarter the consumer is going to get and be able to make some of these decisions on their own. And it's, I mean, listen, you can't generalize that all experts are good, right? Human beings either, right? So at least with the open line of communication, to your point, it gives the consumers a chance to make their own decisions and make up their minds about the person who is talking behind the screen. Because you may not necessarily you know, know that person, but over time, you'll see a trend and a behavior pattern in somebody. And you can get to know who that person is through that, or if they decide to share more of their life. So I f- unless they're like really good sociopaths and good liars, but in general, I think we're entering an era where you're no longer just buying a pretty product on a shelf. You're, you're buying a, an ethos. You're buying a, a philosophy. You're buying what a person truly like stands for. And actually you're buying like what that person actually encompasses and represents. So I think it's much more than just an expert speaking. It's truly about the relationship building. And the most important characteristic, at least for me, and why I have not taken a million endorsements and I have not taken all these sponsorships that all my like other people have, like, is because for me, it was always, it came down to one thing and it was trust. And the only way I could be truthful is through basically just speaking my mind in a very honest way without being owned. And that's my personality. It doesn't mean that people who take sponsorships are not trustworthy, but I felt for my journey, I didn't want to break that trust by being a puppet for other people because I didn't know how to work within that framework, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really does set you apart because, you know, I'm thinking of of so many of the other experts I follow and I, I do see a trend, which like you said, I mean, I take sponsorships. I don't see anything wrong with it. I think as long as you truly believe in the product and the science behind it, there's nothing wrong with it. But I, it does, it is a breath of fresh air, even coming from another creator to see that because, you know, it, it does, it does give you this just kind of era of authority and trust that, that people can trust. And I think that that was, I had one colleague get mad at me once. Cause I said, I don't take sponsorships. I was like, listen, I'm not saying that you're bad if you take sponsorships and it's not about you. It's truly what I said is me, my personality, like for me to feel as transparent and honest, I don't know how to answer to someone. My husband said mm-hmm. it best when he met me. He was like, you're unemployable, Shireen. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, he's like, you are a danger zone. And I'm like, I know. And I need to be on my own because I don't know how to be contained. And the, the more I feel contained, the more I want to erupt. It's like a weird, you know? So I knew it's, it has nothing to, it's not, that's why it's not a blanketed statement across the board. It's each person has their own path. For me, in order to maintain that trust, I felt like I couldn't 
do that because I didn't mm-hmm. know how to be how to work within that framework. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean I can't totally be done, know what you're saying. But yes. it's it's a it's a personal, it's a very, very personal thing based on your personality. And me, unfortunately, I have a lot of faults in mine. And one of them is I don't know how to like, you know what I mean? <laughs> be sort of within that framework. It's so funny because uh, I come from a family of business owners. And when I first graduated PA school, I always said, like, I I am so happy because I'll always be working for someone else. You know, I, I did not want to live that life that my parents lived and that my the rest of my family lives. Like, I was happy going to work, working for somebody else and going home and going about my day. But then as I've gotten older, something just kind of changed in me. And it's kind of partially the reason I started the social media just as like a creative outlet. But I do feel feel that it is in your blood sometimes, whether or not you're somebody who can live out somebody else's dream or if you really have to kind of pave your own way and do your own thing. I really do think it's in your blood and you can't fight it. I think you're uh, you're 100% right, but it's also a very dangerous narrative to sort of romanticize. And you see it a lot on social media where it's like, oh, entrepreneurs, oh, I'm here to tell you I am the biggest slave to everybody who works alongside me, you know, and it is not a romantic path to take. And I actually, when you're saying your thing, I was looking at you like, oh, I wish I were like that. Like in, a, in an honestly an envious way, like I wish I had that sort of personality. And I'm not saying this in a derogatory way at all. It would have made life so much simpler. Like, you know, like it would have been good for for me to to want to be that way. But to your point, it's in your nature. And if you have that in your nature, unless you scratch it in some way, shape or form, you can end up feeling, you know, resentful at things. And that's like the last, a resentful person is never going to be a happy person. And so you do have to figure out how can you scratch your itch with your eyes wide open so that you don't get yourself into the trouble of starting a business and realizing, wait, I'm not meant to be an entrepreneur. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So that's Which is the scariest path of them all, right? You invest yeah. all this time and money and then decide it's not for you. Yeah. And it's better to admit that earlier rather than later because you don't want to get into a bigger, deeper, darker hole. But I see it a lot. And I see it a lot, especially with younger medical students or even residents who are like, oh, I want to do this. And I'm like, listen, that's all great. It's all fun and games. But first and foremost, like learn your craft, really, you know, become an expert within your craft and hone in on that. And the rest will follow. But to just want to own your business for the sake of owning your business, I'm the last one to go to sleep at night because I want to make sure everybody gets paid. Like I actually very honestly have a bad stomach ache right now. And I just saw 20 patients, but I was like, I got to keep going because I'm the one who's like helping keep the lights. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's, there's always two sides to every stone. And Ultimately, you have to go in with eyes wide open, but you cannot fight your nature. And if you realize that is your nature, do little projects first to see, to get your toes wet, to realize, is this really what you want? That's such a great tip. Did you feel like throughout medical school, you already knew you were going to have your own practice one day? Or is it something that kind of came about no, later? I, yeah. I, I mean, listen, my husband's, we like met one hour and he told me that I knew what I was from the beginning, you know, and I always knew that I wanted to try to do my own thing on my own terms. But I also realized not intentionally, it was life that put many obstacles in my way um, that everything in due time. 
you know? And for one person, it might be a year after graduating. For another person, it might be 10 years after graduating. But we're not in competition with each other. You're in competition with yourself, ultimately. And you have to take life as it comes. And very honestly, I am so grateful today at 39 that I did not start my office at 30 when I was, or 29, when I was dying to just get started before I even went through the hassle of IVF and kids and hit with a million different issues. And I was able to really just grow my practice in an effortless way because I was working for someone else and I didn't care to keep the lights on. And I didn't realize the responsibility, as naive as that sounds, of having to keep the lights on and pay all the salaries and the bills, etc. So everything happens as it should. And I'm so glad that life threw those obstacles my way in hindsight, because it really helped me get to where I am today. And I don't think I would have been able to be here had I started my office straight out of residency. And I think taking the time to do it the right way too, right? Your practice now probably wouldn't be the same practice had you started it 10 years ago. You know, you really took your time. You knew what you wanted. It's beautiful. It's successful. I think you, timing is perfect. Yeah, by going back to what you said, like imagine I opened it when I was 30. I would have, A, not had the patient base that I have. B, not been as carefree to just talk on my PJs in bed, not giving a crap about what people think, right? And C, I might have felt kind of my arm twisted to take those sponsorships so I can pay the bills. And then I would have been like a resentful, angry, bitter person if it was my personality had I done this like 10 years ago. So again, everything happens to you in your life if you really trust it and trust the reasoning behind why things happen. Um, When one door closes, a bigger opportunity opens around the corner. I really believe that. And I tell myself that even when shit is actively hitting the fan and all I want to do is cry in fetal position, I really do tell myself, don't hate on this moment because you don't know what's going to come next. Or what it's saving you from. I try to remind myself of that too. You know, we we sometimes have our sights and our hearts set on an outcome, but usually when we don't get it, there's a reason. And it's I believe it's saving us from from heartache down the road. And maybe that that goal wouldn't have been exactly what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm completely aligned with you on that, 100%. So speaking of your practice, I want to talk a little bit about, so you see 100 patients a week. That is insane. Yeah. That is a lot of patients. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're super busy. So what what are what are people asking for right now? What do you, What is the most common procedure that you're doing in, in New York City? What do you think is the most popular at the moment? So I'm a little biased because people come to me for injectables, right? So they come to me and I really just maintain people throughout their life. But I've been... Like all the hot topics, you know, that are coming in, um, Morpheus, fat melting, buckle fat, should I remove them? You know, when should I do my eye surgery? Like literally it's kind of like the same themes at the top of everyone's mind. Um, Trap talks, you know, was a big one over the summer. Um, But those are all basically consistent themes that wax and wane over time. And it's funny because Morpheus is like the big thing this summer. It was the big thing in 2018, microneedling, radiofrequency, heat. Um, So it goes cyclical as well. Um, But yeah, I think people ask questions regarding procedures they get targeted for by marketing budgets, you know? Um, And so Morpheus is definitely on top of people's minds. Yeah. Do you you stand behind it or do you think it's a little bit overhyped? I think everything can be overhyped. You know, I think fillers can be overhyped. I think Botox can be overhyped. Um, I think there is a place and time for it when done correctly and conservatively. Um, I do not use it to chase fat. 
I do not use it to give you like a plastic wrap effect for your face, you know? Um, but it's just one tool in my toolbox that I use on a holistic view for a person as they're aging. And it's not something that I'm going to tell you, you need 10 of these treatments in order to get the best results. It's ultimately like just one facet of the aging process that you are adjusting through the Morpheus. So don't expect a miracle treatment out of it. I think that's one of the benefits for going to a practice like yours, a well-established practice. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky to work with a dermatologist who has an incredible practice as well, where you have so many options available. So you, you have many different devices, many different lasers. You have every injectable on the market because you can really be truly objective and you don't have, at least I feel like I don't have someone hanging over my head saying, we we bought you know one device, we need to use it on everybody to pay it off. I, I would just absolutely hate working in that environment. And I think it's helpful for patients to understand when providers have multiple options because I think it's a little bit of an insurance that you're probably getting a more objective consultation. That's a very good point. Yeah, and I don't think patients actually think yeah. of it that way. But if I don't have a device, well, it's hard you know, to. I'll tell them, listen, I don't have this device. Why? Either I didn't like it, like the Softwave, didn't like it, don't care to buy it for my practice. Um, or, you know what? Still want to wait and see what happens. Like the Elecor. Hmm. You know, I've seen some stuff that are not great. I've seen some stuff that is great. Like, I'd rather take a step back and wait to see what time says about a particular device before I bring it into my practice. Or three, couldn't afford it at this point in time, you know, but mm -hmm. maybe down the road we'll get mm -hmm. it. If not, these providers in the city have it. So like it's, That's I amazing. usually just mm -hmm. tell patients why I either have something or I don't. Um, but to your point, it's mm -hmm. nice to have optionality of devices so that you don't look like you're just saying no um, because you don't have it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, even, even if you have to say no, just being honest about yeah. why I think goes so far and they're going to trust your judgment even more. Yeah. Um, so Morpheus was a huge question that we got. Um, what about Thermage? What are your fans? What are your thoughts on Thermage? I mean, Thermage has been around for years, 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 and it's somewhat of a parallel to the Morpheus in that it uses radio frequency heat. I like it for people with crepey skin. It's nothing, you know, groundbreaking in terms of news. But neither is Morpheus. <laughs> like it's just a new yeah. name, you know. But all of them are very good marketing. Yeah, they're a lot of money. All of them are variations of a theme, and. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's, you know, how are you going to use that tool in order to get your end result that you're looking for? But if, for example, you have melasma and you're worried about breaking your skin barrier and you live somewhere hot like Miami, maybe I would go for the Thermage over the Morpheus, especially if you have crepey skin, right? Um, because I wouldn't want to break your skin barrier further, you know, make you more prone to heat and damage and sun damage and, you know, melasma exacerbations. So I think it depends on the person in front of me as well. But also you take into account their lifestyle. Do they have time for their skin to be slightly looking like it's punctured or a little bit like sandpapery? Um, or do they not have time? Like, what is their lifestyle like? So ultimately, it really just depends on the person sitting in front of me and what I'm looking at and actually taking into consideration that person's lifestyle. Yeah. And I think you've been open about, you do all therapy, right? You said you do that about once a year. I think I saw a video about that. Yeah. I do it like once every year and a half. Once every year and a half. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that and why you chose that one um, for those who, that's one I get a lot of questions about is all therapy. Yeah, so all therapy is ultrasound energy heat. 
that is delivered in a very focused way and concentrated way um, through several different layers of your skin without breaking your skin barrier. So kind of similar to the thermage and that thermage uses radio frequency heat in a more diffuse way, right? Um, all therapy uses ultrasound energy in a more focused way. And they're all kind of doing the same thing, right? Creating zones of injury, you know, allowing your muscles to contract, stimulating your fibroblasts to secrete collagen. Um, so they're all kind of doing the same thing at the end of the day. The reason why I started with Altera was just plain luck at the time in the practice that I was at. I just wanted to see what it felt like. So I started, I did it at like 29 or 30. And I thought it sucked mm -hmm. at the time because it, I had no sagging. I was 29 or 30. It did suck. You know, I was like, well, I'm not going to see it. What, what, what am I expecting from this? But it was only in hindsight, as I saw pictures and I found pictures of myself by a complete accident two years later. And I was like, oh, I kind of see what it did there. It kind of tightened around my eyes. Like my lid was a little bit heavier. Maybe I'm going to give this a chance again. So I did it two years later, giving it a chance again. At that point, I was 31. And then I waited a year and a half to two years. So I was 33. And I was like, shit, I'm going through IVF. I cannot get do anything while I am pregnant. Let me do this treatment throughout my pregnancy because it's going to keep working for six months for me. So that's sort of how the Althera story happened. And I did it before my first pregnancy just to kind of get me going for like the 9, 10, 11, 12 months, whatever it was. And the timing worked out perfectly where I did the other one before my other pregnancy. So it ended up being every year and a half to two years. So that's how the whole Althera situation happened for me. And it's in hindsight, looking back, that I'm like, wow, you know, I am predisposed to a lot of sagging because I have a weak jawline. I've always had weak platysmal muscles. They've never been like tight like Angelina or like you, I could tell you, yeah, like a nice little tight 90 degree. <laughs> I could tell from the zoom, you know, like I've always <laughs> been soft here my whole life. But looking back at like 39 versus 29 or 30 with a little bit more definition and a little bit more, you know, like tightness to the skin, I was like, wow, it really did do something over time. And I'm not doing a million tightening procedures in between. Um, I literally just tried the Morpheus for the first time on my face to see what it felt like a week ago. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see how things evolve and how your perception of things evolve over time. Mm -hmm. And selfishly, all therapy is one of my favorites as well. Selfishly, I'm curious, number one, how do you approach pain control for your patients? And then are you using anything like pre-treating them with anything, obviously making sure they're on their retinoids and things like that. But is, is there any, you know, the, like the elastin, anything else that's marketed pre-procedure that you like to use? Nope. I think that's a little bit of like fluff and huff to make them use elastin before an Althera. And it's like for the practice to sell the practice because it's quote unquote a medical grade. No, I don't do that. You know, I'm like, just continue whatever it is that you're doing. I'm actually not even worried about you being on a retinol before Althera. I'm not breaking your skin barrier. Maybe you might get more high B, potentially. But if you're not that prone, you'll probably be fine. Um, the only thing I ask for is, you know, do you have any sort of silicone in your face? And I want to know if they've had any sort of herpetic you know, breakouts or anything like that, shingles, I can pre-treat them with that. Um, but in terms of pain control throughout the years, I mean, when I first started the practice I used to work at, I used to offer Percocet and Valium. But with the whole opioid thing, I was like, I don't want to feed into anyone's addiction with any sort of like oxy or any, so I do not give, we do not have Percocet in my office. I don't want to carry it here. Um, but the way I've realized that is the best way, at least for myself, and that I've seen it translate through my patients is applying cold air onto the face um, through the zimmer while giving them plus or minus a Valium if they want it, 
you know, 45 minutes before. And then we have the laughing gas as an extra add-on if they think they need it. So the cold air and the Valium have been like the best thing. The cold air is actually number one. If I had to pick one form of pain control, it would be cold air. Number two would be the Valium because it just, you know, numbs the effect. But number two is probably equal to number three, which is the laughing gas. Valium or laughing gas or all three if you're really like somebody who's extremely sensitive. Yeah, we used to do the Percocet and the Xanax and most of the patients were saying, it still hurts. I just like don't care as much that it hurts. And I'm like, well, that's not really worth it in my opinion no. to, to take a Percocet. No. So we don't really do it anymore either. Yeah, but try the Zimmer. It yeah. makes like have the assistant hold yeah. the Zimmer. You get cold, okay, throughout the treatment because the blood, <laughs> you know, like your fingers like get really like Ray nose kicks in, especially post-COVID. I've had that weird where my finger turns white and I'm like, please get Really? This. Yeah. 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 Um, but it definitely makes a huge difference in terms of pain control. This podcast is brought to you by, well, me. Skinthusiast.com is your one-stop shop for all things skin and beauty. We have so many blog posts that you could educate yourself on skincare all day long. If you want a deeper dive, I hold your hand through creating a skincare regimen from scratch in my comprehensive skincare guide. And we have the cutest crewnecks for anyone who's in their skin era. If you're a skin enthusiast, you're going to love it here. Head to skinthusiast.com forward slash shop. So another um, listener question was, what are your tips for a double chin? I think I've heard you kind of explain this really beautifully. And really, there isn't just a flat out answer because double chin can be so many things. But is there some tips you can give the audience? So when you're thinking of your double chin, and this is like kind of like an area of expertise because I have a weak jawline, right? You have to understand why do you have a double chin? First, look at the structure anatomically. How is the framework of your face? Do you have a strong jawline? Do you have a wide jawline? Is your face held up through your jaw? Or is your, do you, are you considered quote unquote dainty? You know, where your, your jawline is gonna recede and disappear faster than the rest of your face. So is the double chin due to that? You can address this through the use of certain types of fillers to recreate the definition of a jawline, which might sound weird, but once you have a better proportion on the lower part of your face, it can kind of mask the overall look and appearance and the heaviness of a double chin. Not get rid of it. You're never gonna get rid of it by tucking your double chin back because of filler, but that proportional illusion can make a big difference on the overall aspect of the face. And then, once you deal with the structure, look at the overall elasticity. Is your double chin worse because, to our point talking earlier, have we lost elasticity in our face? Have we lost, you know, the tightness there? Is our skin getting laxer on top of a, you know, a disappearing framework? And that's where tightening treatments come into effect slow and steady over time. And then the last aspect is obviously the fat. Do you have fat in front of your platysmal muscle or is the fat behind your platysmal muscle? Because if the fat is truly behind your platysmal muscle and you can kind of figure it out by lifting up your muscles up and trying to feel for it, no amount of Kybella, CoolSculpt, or Lipo is going to help you. And ultimately, you're going to have to get some sort of surgery in order to fix it if it really bothers you that much because it's behind your muscle. But if you have a tiny pooch of fat in front of your muscle that is you know, just bothering you because it's adding to an extra lump that you do not necessarily, or hump you do not want on your neck, then you can address it through minimally invasive ways like Kybella, 
you know, understanding that you're going to need several treatments and it's not necessarily a home run. So I tell my patients the gold standard is still lipo in this case because do it one and done and be free versus going in for several treatments of light of uh, Kybella. But a lot of people don't want to do that. So I give them the option, obviously. I'm not a fan of cool sculpt, so I do not even have that in my practice. Um, and last, you can technically melt the fat through tightening devices like Morpheus if I decide to go really deep and allow the needles to sit for a longer period of time in that plane, right? Um, but I talk to patients about it and I take into account like their heritage. Are they Irish? Are they crepey? Or are they somebody who has thicker skin? And can they handle it? And where they are in their stage of life? Are they 20 or are they 50 years old and never want to get a facelift? So it depends on the person who's sitting in front of me, how we approach it. But I have a very honest discussion kind of talking through the different options available to the patient and we come up with a plan together. Mm -hmm. I love that. Again, and that comes back to having all those options where it's really helpful and having that open dialogue with the patient. I think sometimes there is this notion from patients that whatever we're offering, that we're kind of guaranteeing it's going to be a slam dunk. So I always like to manage expectations because oftentimes it's not, you know, we're improving, but we're not completely going to be able to erase most of our concerns. That's just not the reality. Yeah. I mean, it's all about making sure that expectations and reality are aligned when you're talking about yeah. anything cosmetic with a cosmetic patient. Absolutely. Do you have any tips for someone who's looking to find a dermatologist in their area that aligns with their goals? You know, I get that question a lot and it's actually, it's a very hard question to answer because it did, I don't know you, right? Not you personally, but like, I don't know the person on the other end of the line asking me that question. Um, it really boils down to not only Obviously, you want to make sure all the certifications are there, that they're qualified. That goes without saying that they're board certified, that they're, you know, that they, they're respected members of their fields, etc. So that, that just kind of goes without saying, right? I don't need to further emphasize that. But it really does boil down to chemistry. How comfortable do you feel with that person? And understanding what is what drives that provider you know like what is what are their you know cosmetic goals what are their aesthetic goals what do they believe as a provider are they just going to do whatever you want for you know, for that, they're just going to do whatever you want or are they going to actually sit down and take the time to tell you no? Some people, I piss off because I'm like, no, I'm not touching you. They're like, come on, I can't. I'm like, no, and they, they get mad. They never come back. Great, but they're not somebody who's meant for me. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas other providers will do whatever it is that you want and they will do it. They will, they will just perform whatever it is that you want. But you have to find the doctor who's for you in terms of how you guys think, how you guys drive, and what that person stands for. And I think when it comes to procedures, I just tell people all the time, look at the staff around the office. How do they look? Because if the staff looks crazy, chances are that is a result from what you're going to, you know what I mean? Maybe to an extreme end of the spectrum, but the fact that, that the provider has not stopped them or told them no, it is somewhat telling. So I think you, you can kind of judge very superficially based on the staff of a practice. And I think the provider themselves too. Sometimes you see injectors who look kind of crazy and I'm like, I mean, if that's the aesthetic that they, then sometimes that is the aesthetic that the patient is looking for, right? Sometimes they want, especially here in Miami, in Miami, that overdone look is in and I'm not that provider, but some 
you can kind of tell. I mean, you can tell, but it's almost like a hairdresser who has really crappy hair, but they're the best hairdresser in the world. Unfortunately, and it's it's interesting when you're talking about the actual physicians themselves, like I, for better or for worse, treat myself because I don't ever want the physician who works with me to feel bad if I don't like what they did. I'd rather take ownership over that. And there are areas I'll never be able to treat, like my own under eyes or whatever it is. I can't put filler there. I can't fix, you know, do that to myself. Um, but I could see a situation where a provider lets their colleague take care of them and they start to lose sense of their own proportions. And over time, they get lost in their own face and they don't even realize it. And maybe people don't have the nerve to tell them they look weird after a certain point. So I, I empathize. I feel bad for a subset of providers because I don't know if they realize that they look off. Um, and to your point, maybe that, there's another subset that loves that look. And then you really know if you, that's what you want to be with or not. But I don't know if we can generalize across the board because it's very easy to lose sense of yourself. And that's why I do not treat myself more than twice a year. I really am strict with myself. I do not let myself, oh, let me just put a little dab here, a little, no, no, no. There's no little dabs or little touch-ups or little hints. It's, it's done, it's done, move on. No one's looking that closely, even though it's not maybe perfect on it because I treated myself, I can't see my angles, you know? It doesn't matter. Let it settle, move on, come back to it in a few months. Um, but not everyone has that sort of willpower. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think it can get dangerous when you start touching up every month, you know, your Botox and your filler and not letting a single line come back. And you've talked about this before, like letting your Botox kind of wear off. And I'm a big fan of doing that too. I like keeping some natural movement back in my face. I don't do my Botox every three to four months. I kind of, honestly, I kind of wait till it's driving me absolutely crazy and then I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it's just smarter overall. Like you'll age better. A couple other questions from followers. Do you recommend regular facials for your patients? It depends. You know, like if a person has problematic skin, you know, cl clogged pores, etc., I think facials are a great tool to bridge the gap between problematic skin and non-problematic skin as you're figuring out the right routine for you and your, you know, your treatment protocols kicking in. If you have clear skin and you're, you feel the need to get facials every month in order to maintain clear skin, then something is wrong with the, your own skincare routine if that need is felt that I have to go in for a facial every month in order to get clear skin. Um, if you're getting facials because you enjoy them, God bless, you do you. You know what I mean? Like I'm never going to tell a patient not to get a facial if they really enjoy it and it's part of their self-care. Me, Shireen, personally, I get a little claustrophobic when someone's over my face. Um, so I don't, I'd rather get a massage. You know, I'd rather go spend an hour once a month getting a massage than getting a facial for me. Um, but I don't dismiss the idea of facials for patients, especially if they have problematic skin or they're trying to figure out what is their right routine and they need, you know, handholding to get them to their goal. And next question, what at-home tools do you think actually have some validity? Microcurrent, LED? I think all at-home tools can have some sort of validity, but the only thing that matters is if you use them, <laughs> you know? Like, if they're just there and you're not using them, like I have a Saluma, I've never used it. It's useless. It's a complete waste of money and you know, space. I have a new face. You know, the cleaning lady thought it was a questionable device. I told her, get your mind out of the gutter. It's for my face. You know what I mean? Like, I just never used it. But, like, it's there That's by hilarious. my bedside. Um, and so, oh, God, I never thought about what my cleaning lady must think yeah, about. Yeah, she did. She was like, devices. what is that? And I was like, don't worry, you know? But, yeah, so anyway, it was kind of funny. But, like, it's only as good as you're actually going to use them. But 
I think the only kind of caution I give is like laser hair removal at home, be very careful. I think when you're talking about like infrared devices, LED devices, if they're heat generating devices and you're prone to hyperpigmentation, be very careful because they can definitely trigger that. Um, and I think when you're talking about microneedling tools, be very careful in the sense of causing any sort of infection if you didn't clean your device or your tool. And be careful because you kind of think you need to go wrong and strong. And so you don't recognize how hard you need to go on your own face. So you don't want to cause more damage in the process. What are your thoughts on like collagen powders? And what are your favorite ways to increase collagen in the skin? So I don't think collagen powders are that useful. I've been doing a little test myself where I've been drinking collagen powders now for like a week. I'm trying to do this for like the next three months without changing my skincare routine to kind of see. So I started it after the Morpheus, just even though I should have not done the Morpheus if I was really being really scientific about it. Um, so far, I don't see any difference. It's only been a week, so too early to tell. Um, but I think when you look at the data regarding collagen powders, much like more rigorous studies need to be done. I think there was, there was one interesting study that was a little bit, I believe, like funded by the company or by people on the company. But there was one interesting study in the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology that mentioned that collagen powders can trigger your body into believing that there's a breakdown in collagen that then causes you to then go into overdrive and to stimulate your own collagen production. I thought that was an interesting theory, hypothesis. Um, so I would, I, I wish somebody would take the time, effort, and energy to really study it well, you know, in a way that is controlled, you know, where you have a group who do the exact same thing on their face and eat the exact same foods for like the next three months and another group who does, you know, and, do, and then kind of compare and see. Um, but it's going to be impossible to measure with all the variables of life that come into play. So unless there's a way to do it in a lab setting that really measures it, I don't know if we'll ever have a definitive answer, but I also will also tell you, don't underestimate the effects of placebo. If you think that you're doing something and it's helping your skin, you might actually start seeing a difference in your skin because placebo is a very strong factor that should be taken into account when you're talking about something that is very, you know, that can have many multifactorial elements that contribute to the overall result. Um, so I think, don't underestimate placebo. And if you know, you're somebody who can really trick yourself into thinking you have more collagen by drinking it and it's not breaking your bank, knock yourself out. But if it's going to break your bank and you're saving every penny, no, don't. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think I, I used to completely write them off, but now in, in recent years, we have a little bit more, I think, promising data. So I've, I've been looking into it a little bit more. Not enough for me to go out and buy it myself, but I am super interested to see kind of what the science starts to tell us about it. And like you said, if I have patients who are using it and they swear it helps, I'm like, knock your socks knock off. Knock your socks off. For it. Yeah, exactly. Have fun. So I want to talk a little bit about Pillow Talk Derm, the line. What, what, at what point in your career did the thoughts of a brand start to pop up? Or was that something you were like, from the get-go, I want my own brand? I, I did not want my own brand from the get-go. And I did not start Pillow Talk Derm with that intention. And when you think about Pillow Talk Derm and the social media part of this, and Instagram, it started back in 2018 when there were hardly like no germs on social. And I actually got a few DMs from colleagues who thought they were sending it to somebody else saying, look at this one, what does she think she's doing? Yeah, so it's kind of funny in hindsight. I never cared. Very honestly, like that sort of stuff just rolls off my, I don't really care. It's, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. If it's stupid, it's stupid. But if it 
something, something will happen. Um, so I didn't do it because of that. I did it because I was at a darker place in my time, a darker place in my life at the time. And it was a way for me to just kind of vent in a way, you know, about all the frustrations that I was hearing about throughout the day and to get over my own fear of social speaking. Um, so that was how it was born. The idea of a skincare line started to get planted, I would say, late 2019. My followers were like, when are you going to do your own thing? When are you gonna do and I was like, should I do my own thing? I was like, I don't have enough. What do I know about doing my own thing? I'm not a business person in that sense. I know how to see patients. I'm not going to run a company. Like, what does that mean to do my own thing? And then in 2020, so like probably a year later, there was like, and I was growing and I was talking a lot more and really just giving social more of my time and my attention. There was a lot more skincare drama than I think we've ever seen, um, especially surrounding brands and not delivering on what they were claiming to deliver around sunscreens, around this. And on one of those like scandalous days, I went on social and I was like, this is enough. I mean, it's so crazy that you can't even trust the brands that we think we can trust. Like, what does that mean? Should we do our own brand? And I was kind of asking it rhetorically, not really asking it. I guess the seed was planted so subconsciously I was thinking about it, but I wasn't thinking about it consciously when I asked. And it was like, over 10,000 people voted and it was like 99% yes. So I was like, this, if this isn't a sign, maybe I should do something with this. And that's when I started really taking it seriously and really doing the homework and taking the steps I need to take in order to make it a reality. And what was the journey like for you? Was it much more difficult than you thought to kind of help with the formulations and, and bring this brand to life or... Did it happen quicker than he thought? Absolutely. So I take one step back. In late 2019, the reason why the seed was planted is because I was approached as well by a brand incubator to create a brand for me. And that's when the seed was truly... I, so that's it was followers and that I forgot until you asked me this question. And so that really did kind of like spark my interest. And so I went down the road of discussing it with them in order to learn more about the process and what it entailed. But they wanted to own me. <laughs> like, it was like crazy, you know? And I was like, I'm not gonna just give you my name and be a monkey for you, for your product. Like, no way. Like, again, it goes back to my, like, you know, like unemployed, like I would have been the worst partner for them. And, um, and the guy was like, well, you see, he got so mad. He was like, it's gonna cost you $7 million to start your brand and for you to do it from the ground up. And you think it's easy. It's and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, but I was like, I don't even know if I wanna do my own brand. This was 2019, right? Right. Um, but if I do it, I'm going to do it on my own. And then when I did the poll thing, I was like, okay, we're doing it. And I thought, how hard could this be? It's not hard if you don't care. It is extremely hard if you give a shit. And I say that because when you give a shit, every detail of it matters. And for other people, the details don't matter. And so you have sloppy people left, right, and center along you know, not just in this industry, in any industry, I would say, but particularly within this one where like, you have to go to one lab and you have to go to the contract manufacturer, then you have to make the pieces. You have to make sure the pieces look right. You want to make sure that it actually fits. You want to make sure. So there were so many uninvolved steps that that guy was not necessarily far off in like telling me how much money I need to spend to start my own brand. I did not spend $7 million, but like I spent a lot of my life savings all of my life savings to start this brand. <laughs> and um, I laugh and I'm like, he wasn't totally wrong, but, <laughs> but I learned so much in the process. And the reason why it was hard is, and I'm not saying this to sound virtuous, 
It's because I fucking cared about every detail. I wanted clinical studies. I wanted to make sure they were vetted. I wanted to make sure the ingredients were coming from, you know, uh, what's it called? Respectable, reputable sources. I wanted to make sure that not only did the lab that I hired personally, because I didn't go through a contract manufacturer, delivered what I was asking, I cross-checked it by hiring a scientist and a chemist who joined us to cross-check everything because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being taken for a ride and what I was creating was real, you know? And what do I know? I'm not a cosmetic chemist. I'm not sitting there with pipettes in the back in the lab. So I needed to make sure that the person that was on my team was verifying the other person on the team to cross, you know, verify what everything was being done and that I could get the final say. So it, it took a lot. It took a lot and it still takes a lot, but I love it. I don't think you could do this if you didn't love it. You would drive yourself crazy talking about skincare all day, every day. Um, but it's been very, very rewarding. It's been very rewarding, much more so than I ever imagined. You know, social really opened my eyes up to the world beyond the walls of my practice. Um, social gave me the confidence to really move forward in things I wanted to do. But the skincare is now being able to actively see the differences in people's lives through their skin. And getting those messages has been like one of the most rewarding things in this whole process. Yeah, I'm sure it's rewarding to get those messages even before, you know, when you're helping people just with the education, but then to get those messages from your heart and soul that you created and packaged, it must feel really amazing. It's amazing. I mean, when you see like your own, like I paint, right? I hated giving away a painting <laughs> or something, when I, not because I was greedy, but I felt like mm -hmm. a part of me was gone. Right. Do you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I sold one, a couple of paintings in my life and I was always, I always cried when I would sell them because no. I'd give them away. And I was like, no, I don't want to give it. Away. It was like a part of me. So this is truly a part of me. Do you know what I'm saying? That yep. I'm seeing I do. in people's bathrooms, in people's shelfies, in their pictures, in their stories. Like, and it's like, oh my God, like I never in my wildest dreams thought that I could be able to affect so many people beyond just the walls of an office, you know, um, or even just like talking through social. So it's it's been very, very, very touching. Yeah, that's amazing. I can imagine it must feel incredible. So I mentioned I love the Major Fade Serum, but I'm curious what has been the most popular product from the brand? You know, the Deep Puffer has been our... Yeah. Oh, yes? Yeah. I see it everywhere. Right. I see people using it all the time, like just talking through their routines and they're like not even mentioning it. I'm like, that's the Deep Puffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People love the Deep Puffer. And it started kind of as like a joke because I was like, F you face rollers. Because at 2019, everyone was asking me about face rollers. So I wanted to create a product that would mimic the effect of a face roller through actives and that would keep working for you long after you're done rolling. And I wanted it to be useful for my patients post-injections, post-treatments. Like, why are you just doing a lymphatic massage where that fluid is going to fill right back up five minutes after you're done, right? Um, so, and I wanted people to have it, especially post-sculptra, where you have to massage your face. Yeah. And so oh, I that's a great put, use for that thing. That's how I use it. All the time. Oh, so smart. It's the best because you have the serum and you have the roller and it's gliding and you're not getting like rug burn through like massaging and you're able to then help with inflammation and the bruising through the arnica. Like it was thought of in that way. Um, but I never thought people would love it as much as they do. You know, <laughs> that was, I think, the most, the, 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 the sleeping horse has been the deep puffer and it's won unexpectedly five awards and we launched in April. And it just That's won so the Best of Beauty Award by Allure, which was crazy. Congratulations. I didn't thank know that. You. Yeah, Congrats. yeah. Last week. Um, so it was very, thank you. It was very exciting. Um, but yeah, that's been our, that's been our, our, you know, I think our gateway, 
our gateway drug into pillow talk germ for a lot of people. I love that. And I saw a post um, that you created a little while ago about the active seal moisturizer and its use Mm -hmm. of THD ascorbate. And my audience will have heard me say this a million times, but that's my favorite form of vitamin C. I have really sensitive skin. I I tend to get some little breakouts with L-ascorbic acid. So I'm curious about your decision to use THD ascorbate instead of L-ascorbic acid in that product. For the same reason that you just said, I think L-ascorbic acid is extremely finicky. It's not for everyone. I think if you are oily or have acne-prone skin, it's not great. Um, and I, it's just the stability issues are just it's just it's hard. It's a hard ingredient to incorporate into a routine into a product. And my whole shtick with everything is I'd rather you be consistent with something over time than go in hard, wrong, and strong. So consistency over intensity, and Even though THD is not as potent as L-ascorbic acid, we know this, long-term use of it over time, twice a day, is going to give you results, especially if you're looking for discoloration results when used in tandem with all the other actives that I've put in the three products. So it was definitely a, you know, I'd rather you use this every day in a way that's not going to trigger your skin, that's not going to trigger any sort of irritation, that's not going to like be um, comedogenic or affect you if you are oily prone or acne prone skin. Um, because my three products are really for all skin types. They're lightweight. So if you're dry, you probably just need to supplement it with a thicker moisturizer. But if you're oily, they'll be just enough and you can even back off every now and then some of them so that they're not too moisturizing for your skin. But they really work for all skin types. The issue that my products are trying to solve for is really discoloration, you know, and really trying to even out your skin tone. And I wanted everyone to be able to benefit from the actives at the levels that I was putting them at in the formulations. So I didn't want to make any of the products specifically geared towards a certain skin type. And I knew I had to take L-ascorbic acid out then. Right, right. To make them just more friendly for every skin type. That makes so much sense. What if someone is brand new to the brand? Is there a product that you would recommend starting with? I love the hyper serum. I mean, that's like my I, I every single day since September 2021 when I find or August 2021 when I finalized the formulation, I've been using it twice a day. Um, and we launched last September and it's been now a year that we've been in business. And the hyper serum has been a staple in my routine. And I know that the moisturizer has the vitamin C, but if it's too humid out, I'll use the hyper serum. I won't necessarily use the moisturizer. And then mm-hmm. I'll use the sunscreen. You know, like it's like I just can't right. part ways with the hyper serum. And right. I even use it as an eye cream for my under eyes. Like it's really been a godsend. And this year, this summer was the first summer really where I would say last summer I was super stressed. And with the launch of the skincare, that the stress really did flare my melasma on my right cheek. This year, the stress was much less compared to last year. I wasn't launching a brand. And my melasma over the course of the summer did not flare nearly as much as it did last year, having been on this very consistent routine now for nearly two years. That's one of the most common complaints, obviously, because the majority of my followers are, you know, between 25 and 35 and they're women. So, of course, melasma is like one of the most common concerns. So, That will be good for them to know. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of that product. I've been using it for quite a while now. So I was hoping we could do a little rapid fire and get kind of your unfiltered thoughts on some beauty trends. Let's do it. Okay. So let's start with double cleansing. I love it because most cleansers will not get everything off. So when in doubt, double cleanse. 
I agree. I've never found one that could get all my sunscreen off. Okay, what about snail mucin? I actually think the benefits do live up to the hype, but everything in moderation. You don't have to be swimming in it twice a day. And if you feel like you're getting too much hydration, it's probably maybe a thing and you got to back off a little bit. So it does live up to the hype, but again, everything in moderation. Slugging. It's not for everyone. I think if you're oily, you're fucked. If you decide to slug, you know, yeah. don't do yeah, it. Don't do it oily. if you're oily. I think if you live in a very dry climate, sure, you probably have more of a green light, even if you're oily. But if you're really dry, especially in a dry climate, go for it. Don't be scared. Yeah, I love it. Whenever I travel home to Ohio or I'm traveling anywhere dry, I always bring a tub of Vaseline with me. I love it. It's like the best. Okay. Um, we already touched on home microneedling rollers, but... Like, do you think it's even worth trying or do you think just back off? Everything is worth trying once, you know, but I just think really go into it with your eyes wide open that you're going to have to maintain a device and clean it and change the barrel and not go too deep and not go too strong. And if that's something you don't think you can do, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. Like, especially the people who are don't yeah, do they're it. like 20 years here listening to this. Don't do it because you're going to age and you're going to age worse. Like if you're 50 and you do not want a facelift and you have massive jaws because of buckle fat, get rid of them. But if you're 20, work around them. Let's see how we can enhance the whole quality of your face overall before getting rid of something that you can never get back. It's not like I could just insert filler there and call it a day. So I think that's a common misconception. People are like, oh, I'll just fill it later. Like, nope, you are not going to get the same effect as those mm -hmm. little fat pads gave you. Okay. What about the ponytail lift or kind of using these cosmetic procedures, actually going to the knife surgery for beautification rather than like aging. Like the, you hear people in their 30s, even late 20s doing these procedures. It's not something that I stand for. Am I going to tell you absolute no? No, because every, at the end of the day, you're going to do what you want to do, you know, and it's a very much a subjective thing. All of cosmetics is a subjective thing. But in my school of thought, like I'm not trying to change who people are. I think there is beauty. You can truly find a beauty in every person, you know, Unless they have a really ugly heart, then it's really hard to see past that. But like, and I don't mean to sound corny, but you can really find beautiful elements to every single face. That I, my goal for my patients is not to change who they are. So unless somebody's extremely mentally affected by how they look and it's taking a toll on their, you know, mental well-being and they feel the need to change their face, like I'm not going to stand in their way. But is it something that I promote for a young person? No. Yep. I agree. What about preventative Botox? I hate that term because it makes it seem like a 20-year-old needs Botox to prevent a line from forming. Go fucking live your life. Let that line form. When that line's on your face, we'll deal with it. And guess what? When that line first forms on your face, you can actually get Botox and it will help it disappear. It's when you're 50 and the line is like engraved into your face, you know, that you probably cannot get rid of it. But it's no longer preventative at that point because the line's already there. So you're just getting, you know, softening it as it kind of appears and reappears. But to freak people out at 19 and 20 that they need their Botox to prevent the aging process, it's like, just relax. Go live your life. Honestly, go to the Far East. Go take a trip to Bhutan and open your eyes. You know, don't try to save your money for preventative Botox. I, it just, it mm -hmm. never sat well with me. And I think there is this misconception that, well, number one, I do think that our generation is partially afraid to age. And I think we're, as a, as a, I think cosmetic dermatology as a whole is partially responsible for this. And I think we have to kind of take ownership for that as, as providers and as educators. But I think there's this misconception that the second, like you said, the second a very faint line forms that it's gone. You can't do anything about it. It's too far gone. And that's absolutely not true. I mean, one, one you know, session of Botox will 
take that away immediately. You know, you'll you'll see if it's if it's just starting, you get Botox one time and it's it's gonna go away. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about liquid nose jobs? I've also never been a fan. Not a fan. I think you're trying to do a permanent change on a face with a non-permanent solution. And the muscles of a nose are not as mobile as the muscles of your face. And therefore, when you're injecting filler in your nose, it's just going to sit there. It's going to get harder to get dissipated, to spread out, to thin out, et cetera, over time. And I've seen this where people look like their bridges of their nose gets wider over time because the filler is just sitting there. So it's not something, other than the fact that it's not necessarily the safest part to inject, you know, even under the most skilled hands, you know, I've seen complications arise. Um, but that's not to scare you from it. I think from an aesthetic standpoint, it just doesn't make sense. And if your nose is really bothering you, go look for a more permanent solution and enjoy the other stuff to help you age more gracefully. What about threads? Are you a fan of threads? I think threads, it's like Morpheus. It's just another tool in my arsenal. I don't believe in doing threads all day, every day, every single time a person comes in. It's not what I've ever done. But is it going to help somebody to pick up a little bit of extra weight, especially in a direction that's hard to achieve through filler? Yeah, of course. You know, I think it helps every now and then. But I try to limit how much I use in each session. And I try to look at how much has been used over the course of a year. And last rapid fire question. What are your thoughts on skin cycling? It's just a cool marketing term. But it's just, I mean, it doesn't mean, I think skin cycling dumbifies it to the extent that people will no longer think for themselves and will miss the opportunity to help themselves out and more so in the process. I think if you really want to understand it in a simple way, it's listen to your skin and understand how your skin responds to things and pivot your skincare routine accordingly. There are weeks where I can use tretinoin four times a week, and there are weeks where I can only use it once a week because I happen to be sensitive that week. If I follow the skin cycling rule, I might be inflaming my face because my skin is sensitive, and yet I'm trying to do it on every fourth night. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so it's about being more malleable with your skincare routine and looking at your skincare routine on a weekly view versus a daily view and understanding that your goal is to try to get these ingredients to address your problems over the course of a week and not try to deal with all of your problems every single day the exact same way in the exact same routine in the morning and at night, 365 days a year. Yeah, I think I always tell my patients, listen to your skin. That is, I think, just the most important thing we can do with our skincare routine. It's, it's it, Your skin will tell you what it needs and what it doesn't want. All you have to do is pay attention. 100%. Okay, so to wrap up, what is up next for Pillow Doctor? The brand and just you. What do you what do you have coming up? I mean, oh my God, so many things. Um, but for the brand, hopefully international. It's I mean, I, I've seen all the comments, I've read all the DMs, and each time I say no, we're not yet international, my heart sinks. I would love to be uh, able to ship internationally, but it's very interesting because I used to think, oh, can't you just ship it? And there it goes. But no, you have to make sure that customs, you have to make sure that, you know, they're EU compliant, they're Canadian compliant, they're Asian, whatever. That the ingredients are actually okay. Like I could not sell my flash mask as it is now in Canada because 15% glycolic acid is too high for Canada. They only, their upper limit is 10%. So like you have, yeah, like you have to like have all of these things that I don't want to be doing. I want to do everything above board. So I'm not just trying to you know, flip a quick switch and have people get it in a way that's not sustainable for the long run. Um, so I'm trying to do it really correctly. So hopefully internationally and with that, I, mean, I would love to be able to like travel with my brand to be like, hey guys, like let me show you guys like in real time what that means. Um, so that's very exciting. 
and then hopefully decorate That's my apartment. I need some furniture for me personally. We've, we've moved yeah. a year ago and I only have one couch and two chairs and I, I need to decorate my apartment and it's actually embarrassing. But my kids are so small that they love the empty space. Um, I'm sure they love all yeah, the room. But it's, I, need, I need an apartment that I can actually call a home now. Yeah. That will be exciting too. I think you've had a busy few years. Yeah. <laughs> Take some time to like do those things that you've been dying to do. Okay, what is your holy grail skincare product? Other than the hyper serum, I think. So, so from your brand, it's the hyper serum. I love serum. The hyper serum. That's the one you can't live without. I love it because mm-hmm. I do have discoloration. And then what about outside? Um, I love Waleda skin food. Um, I think it is, especially for the winter time and I'm on the drier end, like I'm looking at my lips are like all chapped and cracked because I've been licking them. Um, but it definitely helps with my face. I put it on my face in like a slugging situation. I put them on my lips for lip basting. Um, and it kind of goes with me everywhere in my, like it's a multifunctional product that I use on my face and body. Um, but that's probably one. And then I love Biafine. That's a product I have, in, like, uh-huh. every time I travel with my kids, God forbid, I have it in case they need it yeah. for, like, a burn, a scrape, a scratch, a cut, whatever it is. I have mm-hmm. BFU. Yeah, definitely good to have in your arsenal. What is your most underrated skin tip? I think people think they need to use everything all at once. So it's kind of twofold. One is look at your skincare routine on a weekly view and not a daily view. And once you have that understanding, it's easier to pivot your skin's needs without feeling like you're missing out on getting the benefits of every active. And I think the second biggest tip that I have, well, I had it in my mind. Yes, it's, I know what I was going to say. It's basically focus your skincare routine on your biggest problem first. Tackle it systematically. And once you start addressing it problem by problem, you will start building a skincare routine that encompasses various different issues in a way that is really well balanced for your skin. But start with your biggest problem. Like for me, it was truly the discoloration that affected me psychologically. Um, Obviously I did need prescriptions. Like for melasma, you can only treat it with a prescription, but in order to maintain the results over time, you can do a lot with over-the-counter. And it can not treat, but it can help keep things as they are, which is a huge plus in the grand scheme of things. So focus your skincare on your routine. Uh, based on your biggest problem. Focus your skincare routine on your biggest problem. That's a great tip. I haven't really heard anyone say that before outside of like a consult in an office. I think that's super important that you tackle it that way because it's going to be the most efficacious for for the consumer to tackle their their skincare in that Yeah, manner. and they'll be able to see what's making a difference. Yeah, and and once you're like once you tackle one problem, you're going to be like you're going to feel better, you're going to be more motivated to kind of tackle the next one. And so many of these products tackle a couple things at a time even without you even realizing it. You know, like your products are also anti-aging. They're not just targeting, you know, hyperpigmentation. They're also going to help with all the aspects of anti-aging. But if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? don't get pissed when an opportunity, you know, closes in your face. Like, or like when you think is the opportunity of your lifetime doesn't happen. Like trust the process as stupid as that phrase sounds and has been way overused in today's day and age, but truly trust the process. And, you know, what did you, you said something which I, I completely agree with, which is like, don't look as the obstacle. Think of the obstacles that come your way as saving you from further damage and as the biggest blessings of your life because you don't know how your life is going to pivot. So t- 
take a deep breath, calm down. Life is going to happen to you as it should happen to you. And whatever is meant to be yours is going to be yours, no matter what you actually do or not do. So that, I think, is a very yeah. reassuring thought. So you know? true. And it, it does give you comfort in kind of like accepting that, okay, I'm going to give it my best shot and we'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah, what's meant to be will find you regardless. Absolutely. Regardless. Well, thank you so, so much for, for being on the show. I That was so insightful. I can't wait to hear what everybody thinks. And I know you're so, so busy. So thank you for taking the time, truly. No, I'm very excited for you. And I'm excited for this next chapter professionally oh, for you. Hopefully you. it leads to exactly what you've always wished for. Oh, thank you so much. This episode was so insightful. I hope that you guys were able to take away some major tips for your at-home routine and possibly even some questions for the next time you see your own dermatology provider. Pillow Talk Derm is going to be giving away a bundle of products to one lucky listener. All you have to do is follow Pillow Talk Derm on Instagram and then comment on my latest reel with your biggest takeaway from the episode and your biggest skincare concern. I cannot wait for you guys to try the Hyper Serum. It's truly one of my favorite hyperpigmentation serums in my routine. And with that, I'll see you next week, Skin Enthusiasts. Thank you.